0: Good morning. It is my pleasure to welcome you to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalist Online Worship Service. Our greeters today are Linda Bergman and Justice Craig, Paulette Amory is our pianist, and we warmly welcome Dr. Charlene Sinclair as our guest speaker. If you're on Zoom, at this time, you might want to change to speaker view so you have a better view of who is ever speaking. If you'd like to follow along with the order of service, I invite you to visit wuu.org to download a copy. If you're visiting today, we invite you to share your name in the chat if you'd like. Feel free to sign up for our email list on the website if you would like to keep up with opportunities to connect, serve, and grow. After the service, everyone is invited to join a facilitated small group Zoom conversation to check in and talk about the service. We have a special group for newer people with any questions. All are welcome. And now Paulette will play Celebration by Philip Johnston. Again, welcome. We are happy that you have joined us. Whether you have come seeking comfort, encouragement, or inspiration, you belong here. You are seen here, even if we cannot see each other physically. If you are a visitor, we offer you a special welcome and a warm thank you for joining us today. Now, I invite you to say our welcoming words. Please, as you say these words, speak them to each other and know that we are connected across the distance. The words are pasted into the Zoom chat. We will say them in unison. People on Zoom, we will unmute you so you can hear each other in the electronic cacophony that shows us all we are still out there.
1: Cacophony, huh?
0: Come, come. Everyone,
1: everyone. Welcome.
2: Welcome.
3: Welcome.
1: Welcome.
3: come <laughs> <laughs> The round the sky Open the window Let like the dove fly in The only water closest Is a border
0: saying the words to light our chalice if you have a candle or chalice nearby you can go ahead and light it now and again we will unmute you and say the words in unison light this love Light
4: of truth
2: the energy action harmony harmony of peace in our hearts. And peace in our world. The story is called Unde- the Undefeated. The undefeated. This is for the unforgettable, the swift and sweet ones who hurtled history and opened a world of possible. The ones who survived America by any moves necessary. and the ones who didn't. This is for the undeniable, the ones who scored with chains on one hand and faith in the other. This is for the unflappable, the sophisticated ones who box adversity and tackle vision. who shine their light for the world to see and don't stop till the break of dawn. This is for the unafraid, the audacious ones who carried the red, white, and weary blues on the battlefield to save an imperfect union. The righteous ones the righteous marching ones who saying we shall not be moved because black lives matter this is for the unspeakable this is for the unspeakable This is for the unspeakable. This is for the unlimited, unstoppable ones, the dreamers and doers who swim across the big sea of our imagination and show us the majestic shores of the promised land. The Wilma Rudolphs, the Muhammad Ali's, the Althea Gibsons, the Jesse Owenses, the Jordans and the LeBrons, the Serenas and the Cheryls, the Reese Whitleys, and the Undiscovered. This is for the unbelievable, the we real cool ones. This is for the unbending, the black as the night is beautiful ones. This is for the underdogs and the uncertain, the unspoken but no longer untitled. This is for the undefeated. This is for you and you. This is for us. The end.
4: Hi, everyone. We're gonna talk to you today about um, ways to stay civically engaged beyond voting. Um, We were asked to talk about civic engagement and I realized neither one of my children are allowed to vote even though they might want to. So I thought it was very important to talk about. I never saw my own parents um, do anything besides vote. And so one of the things that was exciting to me was when I realized um, the first time I could vote in a presidential election was 92. It was after the Reagan Bush era and everyone was so excited about um, the Clinton election bringing in change. And I remember how disillusioned I was um, when, I don't know how many remember this, but he um, fired his Surgeon General Jocelyn Elders because uh, she was caught on tape talking about masturbation, Um, and I wrote a letter, I'd never done this before, I wrote a letter to um, the president, uh, and I actually got a form letter back, and that was sort of my education on, wow, you know, he probably doesn't even read these letters, (laughs) And, and onward, but I think it's so important, and I've been talking to my kids about it too, that you know we can't put faith in any political candidate just vote and then walk away and hope they do you know we have to hold them accountable um ben thacker gwaltney is another one who i don't know if he's on this today but um with the virginia organizing project he had a meeting once with um he probably had a lot of meetings but this is the one i attended with uh, representative tommy norman and that also taught me about how um, you continue to meet with your elective of elected officials and, um, and continue to hold them accountable. So next I'm gonna pass it to my son who's gonna talk about the things that he's done as well as um, my daughter. So I've been going door to door with
2: my mom and convincing some African-Americans to vote because at first they wouldn't until we went and knocked on their door. And they said that they were gonna go now. And then I was also inspired by Colin Kaepernick kneeling when he did the um, for the football games for the national anthem. So then in fifth grade, I sat out the pledge and I've attended multiple Black Lives Matter rallies or marches in Williamsburg this year. And I was really happy that I went to them as I would always want to go. Um, I think that my mom took me to rallies when I was really little and I don't remember those, but I remember going to the Women's March with WUU back in 2017, after the 2016 election. Um, and that was really inspiring to be around so many people who had the same like beliefs that I do. And um, then we also went to a lot of the local marches and rallies this year when they were um, big over the summer and um, me and my best friend started a nonprofit business to raise money to donate to organizations that fight against racial injustice. And so that was, that's been our big summer project. And we've managed to raise, um, $1,600 and we're picking our organizations now. So it's really cool to me that I could have such an impact on the community, especially with some people in this area, not being as supportive as I would like them to be of racial, um, fighting against racial injustice and supporting everybody.
4: Thank you, everyone. Do your part.
0: Thank you. Thank you, O'Brien family for all that. Um, And now we invite you to a moment for reflection and prayer to take a moment to call to mind those who are particularly on your heart today. Joys and sorrows, the ebb and flow of life. If you are on Zoom, you can type their name in the chat and let us all reach out in this difficult time for so many reasons, extending waves of spirit and threads of loving presence to draw our circle wide. And we will have a moment to to catch our breath, moment of reflection. I will read a passage from Wendell Berry as we start this period of meditation with the sound of a bowl. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds I come to the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. And for a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Thank you, Paulette. In the spirit of generosity, each Sunday we make an offering from the bounty we are blessed to enjoy. If you're joining us for the first time, please know your presence is gift enough. Today's offering goes to our general operating fund to help cover all of our programs, salaries, technology, and maintaining our beloved campus and buildings in preparation for our return in the future. If you'd like to give through our website, please click on give online to WUU. If you'd like to give by text, you can text the dollar amount to 757-500-0688. And if you would prefer to give by check, you can mail it to WUU. Thank you so much for your continuing generosity.
1: i am taking a deep breath i wanted to say a special thank you to each and every one of you for being here this morning like Stuart, um i was feeling tired as well and uh, i prepared to come and be with you all but there was a piece of myself that was just still feeling tired but you know your warmth and the way in which you are holding each other and celebrating this time together is like a bomb on my spirit. So I thank you deeply for that. The reading um, today is taken from uh, Louise Clifton, and it has become both my hope and my prayer in these times. And so I share that with you. Won't you celebrate with me what I have been shaped into, what I have shaped into a kind of life. I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, what did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay. My one hand holding tight, my other hand come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Come and celebrate with me. As I said, this has become both hope and prayer because sometimes this bridge between starshine and clay is a hard bridge to traverse. And it is with that hope and prayer that I entitled my talk this morning, Apocalypse Now. And for many of you who um, have are of a certain age like I am, when you hear Apocalypse Now, we tend to think about that old movie with Marlon Brando, that military movie. But interestingly enough, and um, I'm not talking about the movie, although I do use movies and poems and books and all kinds of things as I, you know, kind of rifle through trying to figure out, you know, what is what is on my heart that I'd like to share. But this morning, I am actually talking about Apocalypse Now from an interesting book, which is the book of Revelations, the biblical book of Revelations, which is a an interesting thing to talk about, particularly when you're doing a UU Sunday morning sermon. But um, I'm hoping that after I'm finished, you'll see why I chose it. And the reason why I chose Revelation, I went to seminary after being an organizer. I was not a regular church goer at all. So some would think that seminary was an odd place for me to be, Uh, but there was something that was calling me to go there because as an organizer, I was working with all kinds of people, including myself, looking at my own life and trying to figure out how the heck do we keep moving forward? And I saw that so many folks were actually being um, called into this work through what they thought was their, their um, not what they thought, through their deep, deep faith, many of which had multiple um, relationships to the divine. And so I went to seminary, and it was the first time I was actually introduced to the book of Revelation. And Because like so many people, you hear, oh, my God, there's like all of these awful of symbols and it's it's terrible. Don't go there. you know, you know it's as though you open the book and all of a sudden the world will open up and swallow you in. But what I found out was that it is one of the most powerful justice minded texts that I had ever read. and um, but it's also some of the most damaging at the same time because we throw it away being folks that are are more left, more humanist, we're just like, that is just like all that spiritual malarkey. And while we throw it away, we've got folks that are not committed to human justice, not committed to our deep connection with each other in humanity. And they're picking it up and crafting a way of being that in moments of deep despair and trauma and uncertainty, so many of the people that we know actually revert to that. So when I realized that I was like, oh my God, these aren't just simply a bunch of right wing crazies. There is some stuff happening here that is drawing people into reaching for this text as a way to explain the unexplainable, and so what is here that I can actually grab a hold of and do what Aubrey Hendricks called um, guerrilla exegesis? I kind of liked the name at first because it made me feel kind kind of tough and you know stealth. So, but Aubrey Hendricks talks about guerrilla exegesis as something that we search for in any text that is about bringing forth life and bringing forth justice for us all. And so given the fact that there were so many people that I know when anything happens that is unexplainable, they reach and they grab for what they know, how do I take that same body of work and reach and grab for justice and our connection um, as, as beings in this world? And so I went and explored this one book and I was fascinated that in the very beginning, it was one of the most blistering critiques of religiosity and churchness that you would ever wanna meet. It was scathing. And so given that I said, well, this guy that wrote this obviously is like, I'm simpatico with this person, because I had some scathing critiques as well. And then I settled in on this one chapter. And to be honest, I ended up doing um, some of my graduate work literally just on maybe three or four chapters of this, this book because I was just so fascinated by it. And so there's this chapter, chapter 12 and 13 and then 18 have become the places that I go back to. And the reason why I go to these chapters is that in chapter 12, there is a cosmic battle that is happening in that chapter. And um, being a rather, you know, staunch Black feminist myself, I love the fact that at the center of that battle was a woman. And it was not about like, let's give all of our hope, you know, to to the savior boy child but it was really a battle around the life of this woman and this woman was um was caught up in a beastly battle and running and running and running and running and the way in which she was saved was through the work of another woman mother earth and so here she is in this beastly battle where all that is what we fight against, which is like all of this imperial and violent forces are coming after her. And the way in which she gets saved is that the earth kind of comes up and gets enlivened, animated and pushes her into safety. And what is fabulous about that, though, is that there is an honesty there, because after that, it says she will still be in battle, and so will the children that come after. So there wasn't this this, just light that said, oh, everything would be okay. But it was an indication that there are going to be moments of deep trial, moments of deep tribulation. And what I also loved was that it would not require just a human body to make right, but it is this relationship between how we see the human and the and the world around us, the earth creation that would make this right. But then something else happened. I like to call it the, the um, second birth story. The first birth story was this cosmic um, birth and battle. And then the second birth story was so interesting because this is the, the same beast that was going after this woman and the woman's child and the woman's children now emerged out of water like a birth into something completely different and what that said to me is there are ways in which we are so embattled at times that we think we know what the battle is and we keep fighting and fighting and fighting and sometimes that very thing that we are fighting the very thing that we think we're giving everything to can change, and become multiple possible ways in which we are we are challenged, we are in danger. And I'm a, I want to sit with that for a minute to think about the world that we're currently in before I talk about the next um, birth. You know, for many of us, we're in this place, we're in this season where. We have experienced multiple battles, and we are looking at a decision around what type of a world are we living in? What is the world that we want? You know, who will lead this, this um, country in a way that actually meets with our our covenantal relationship with each other and with the world around us. So we're in that place. And not only are we a week away from that election, we are also maybe a day or a couple of days away from the affirmation of a Supreme Court judge whose ways of being in terms of you know, the political frames that, that she has might not be in alignment with what we believe as you use, the principles that we hold, the values that we hold. And I say this because if we are still having the the same battle that we've always had, you know, how many ways in which this beast may show up that we will actually miss? Because we're looking for something that is based on the first level of battle and not the way it has morphed into the reality of today. I was reading the paper, as an example, I was reading the paper um, yesterday and there was a line in there that said that um, Senator Lisa Murkowski will vote for the affirmation of um, the Supreme Court judge. And the reason why she said she would do it is that she felt that the, um, the qualifications of um, Judge Barrett were so stellar that she needed to go ahead and and vote for her. Even if the process might've been damaged, the qualifications were good enough to do that. And there shouldn't be a reason why um, she didn't vote yes. But here is the way in which we need to do some guerrilla reading and figure out what battle are we truly holding in this moment? Are we in the battle that speaks to yes, a woman's qualification should be the determinant factor around whether or not she is advanced to one of the highest roles in the land? Absolutely, that should be the case, and that is a battle that we have been fighting for centuries. But there is another battle that we are fighting, and that is a battle around what is the shape of this country that we are looking to mold? Is this country being shaped by um, a commitment to our equality, a commitment to justice, a commitment to the knowledge that how we codify, codify through law, our way of being with each other and our ways of honoring each other is that what is at stake? Is that the new battleground? And are we looking at old enemies in the midst of this new reality? Has the beast changed its look in order for us to support this thing that is is antithetical to what we believe? So this this is the this is the new frontier that we're in. So we have this beast of all shapes and sizes. We have this beast that looks different, that can morph into, into a multitude of different different ways. And then we're still in battle with it. And then there's another birth that happens in chapter 13, which is the birth of the mind to actually hold us still which means that in this new birth you go from you know a physical battle where the earth moves then we go into this battle where it shapes and it forms into different realities and a final battle where we are being captured by the dominant narratives that rule our lives captured in such a way that we actually consent to the very things that we say we're opposed to, because we don't even recognize anymore. The fact that this new thing, this new way is actually trapping us into the very system that we say we don't want to be in. This is the the actual, you know, this this is better than a movie, isn't it? It's like there's so much that is going on here. And you're like leaning in, what's going to happen? How do we get captured? How do we break free from this? If, If we've had the battle of the body, if we've had the battle of these systems that have been shaped, and if that battle has now moved on to the frontier of the battle of our minds, then what else do we have? Think about it. The biggest way in which we are actually suppressing the movement of everyday people today for civic engagement is through disinformation. We're thinking about all kinds of voter purges and what have you, but we are seeing that the biggest way in which we are succumbing to injustice is through the bombardment of all of this disinformation. We are in the battle for our minds. It is a heart and mind battle. And our heart is actually where we learn most of what we think the world is doing around us. We are in a heart and mind battle. So here we are in this heart and mind battle and we've got to figure out what next. And then further down, we get to chapter 18. Which tells us what is at stake, and it tells us what we must overcome, because what is at stake is this whole list of all this litany of all of these consumer goods there that is being um, produced to go to to Rome. They talk about wine, and they talk about the olive oil, and and you know all of these luxury goods, and at that end of the the long litany of luxury goods, it says, and the bodies and souls of men. So what we're seeing is that what is at stake is the fact that you have all of these luxury goods, this consumerist way of being that is also capturing, is capturing us, our human bodies within that. That is what is at stake. And if you read the book, all of these luxury goods are being developed at the expense of what is needed for us to live a deep life. It is, it is doing olives to make olive oil rather than corn for people to eat. Or so it's all of this consumerism that is moving forward. And even as we see the moment that we're in, when we we were in the pandemic. I have never heard so many people talk about the need for restaurants in my life. I had no knowledge that restaurants were such an essential service in our daily life together. You know, and it, I'm not saying this because of the, um, cause I do understand people have businesses and jobs, et cetera, but it was such an indication of the fact that we are actually you know, um, fighting for a level of consumerism that really is partaken by those that have the means and resources to do it. It is the list of all of those goods. And at what expense? At the expense of the bodies and souls of, of humanity. And here is the clincher at the very end. The people that are crying out are not the people that are at the very bottom. The people that are crying out are the merchants because it is their livelihood. It is their understanding of where they are in the world. It is their sense of self that is now being threatened and they are crying out because of that. So oftentimes when we think about what it means to make justice in the world, it's easy to look and to see those that may have less, those that we see the obvious oppression and violence that are wrought against them. That is easy to see. What we often don't do is a level of guerrilla exegesis over our own lives. To what extent are we in the places where we sit so bought into the systems and structures that govern our lives together that we cry out against what might actually disrupt that? you know, this is a, a these times that we are in are interesting times because it is really showing us the fact that we are deeply deeply interconnected the the thing with this the pandemic that we are in now is that we have two pathways we can go the isolationist path and and be protectionists, or we can understand that even in our homes, even when we are wearing masks, even when we're trying to figure out how to live together, that there is this invisible connection that we all have, that we are all dependent upon each other to be able to move through life in a way that is deep, and meaningful and that can bring life. We have that opportunity to do that. And we have an opportunity to see the extent to which we may actually, while we want the to you know move forward with life, what kind of life are we trying to build after this? You know, image of anything. There can be information and narratives about anything. And are we going to lean into that or are we going to search our own understanding and determine what can we possibly do to break the hold of these morphing beasts to create a new reality, a new way of being, a new world with each other, this is the place we're in at the moment. And uh, I use this story, this story that comes out of Revelation, because in addition to the fact that it is used by millennial Pentecostal folks to have people think that you're going to be sucked up into the heavens, and you know, it's the way in which they frame all kinds of you know, moralities that are offensive to us because we know that there is immoral and unjust. But the other thing too is that as you use, we also can rationalize ourselves right back into the same place those folks are in. If we are not careful that our process of rationalizing is not caught up in another form of the beast. What is the center that we use to determine whether or not we are moving in a way that is consonant with our values, with our principles, or are we moving in a way that is actually in alignment with this new manifestation of the beast? That's the questions that we have to ask ourselves in these times. And I'll give you one last story um, because we're all at this place where um, what I, I'm often caught in the middle of is the, the Black Lives Matter movement for Black Lives call for defunding the police. And in that, there are ways in which the analysis around whether or not that is even possible. Should we defund the police? Police are important for our lives. You know, we need to, we will have total anarchy. There's all all of those conversations that are happening. So then the question that we have to ask ourselves is whether or not all that is coming up for us around that is built and formed from the way in which we've been told that the world ought to operate and, and that the fears that we have are on the basis of the fears that we've been, you know, um, re- reared to have. Or are we going to ask ourselves, what does a safe world look like? What does it mean for us to move into a new reality where safety is about our life together and not about how we structure away from harm, right? What would it look like if we thought that the best way for us to not be harmed is to know each other? What if we thought that, it would be amazing for us not to have budgets that are so steep in all kinds of surveillance and militaristic policing, and rather budgets that we're looking at how do we grow good, healthy food? How do we provide beautiful you know, public education? How do we actually give people pathways to make sure that they are healing, their minds and their bodies in healthy ways. How do we do that? That's what it looks like when we go through the process of looking at our lives and the world through this this guerrilla exegesis that centers around these very questions. Apocalypse now is not a phrase that means the world is ending. Revelation is apocalypse. We tend to go to the very last definition, which is the idea that destruction is going to happen. But if you look at the definition, it's a new way of seeing, it's revealing. It's a revelatory way for us to see something different. And when we see something different, to be able to create something different. So the urgency of apocalypse is the urgency to use this moment to see, to challenge ourselves to see in a new way and through that to create a new world together. So I invite you all to enter into this apocalyptic moment, this moment of revealing there is much being revealed right now. There is much being revealed. How will we give ourselves permission and space to see it? How will we give ourselves permission and space to lean into this new way of seeing so that we can craft a truly a world that supports the well-being, humanity and justice for each and every one of us? That is my hope for us all, that we enter into an apocalyptic moment together. And let it be so. Amen.
0: Thank you, Paulette. Thank you, Charlene. Um, Thank you for your stories and your questions. And just a new way to frame this moment and chance to create.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And now let us say the words to extinguish this chalice. And I invite you to blow out your candle at the same time. Look it up. I think it has... is. So, so, we extinguish this point. We the light of community. So, so so For the fire, For the fire, fire commitment. To these we carry in our hearts, hearts, hearts,
1: hearts and, hearts, and, heart, hearts, heart, and heart,
0: heart,
2: together, together again. And
1: okay. This morning, as I was preparing, uh, I was doing something really interesting, which is reading the astrologer. Uh, Channy Nicholas. That's what I was doing to get myself ready for this morning. So I would like to leave us with a paraphrase of Channy Nicholas as we move into our week together. Channy Nicholas asks us to accept our past, present, and future. We are all beautiful beings that have come through so much. Let us accept that. And in accepting that, while we validate our deepest desires and dreams, let us not shy away from truly seeing with a gorilla spirit that which may capture your desires could possibly birth a new beast. So let us not be shy about the struggle that may be needed for us to create this new world that can truly be reborn. Bless you all.